Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Chicago, Illinois. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Nineteen-year-old Marlene Ochoa Lopez was beautiful, bubbly, and determined, but first and foremost, she was a mother, a wife, and a mother. In 2016, at only 16 years old, she welcomed her youngest son into the world alongside her high school sweetheart, Yavani, and by the next year, after a beautiful wedding, they were husband and wife. They were navigating marriage and parenthood at an age where most people's biggest concern is what their friends are doing that weekend, but they were doing it well and with the help of their very supportive families. The two continued going to high school, working towards graduating and starting their careers, when in 2018, at 19 years old, Marlene found out she was pregnant again. They were now going to be parents of two boys, and regardless of their age, the couple and their families were excited to welcome another little baby into the family. Throughout her pregnancy, Marlene continued attending Latino Youth High School on top of working, and by late April of 2019, just a couple of weeks shy of her due date, she was tired. On the morning of April 23, 2019, she left the house with a full day of school ahead of her. She said goodbye to her husband, neither of them knowing that it would be the last time they would ever see each other. The two texted throughout the day, and WGN9 reports that she told her husband that she was so tired she didn't even know if she could drive. On top of her exhaustion, she also thought she might have been going into labor. ABC7 reports that Marlene had lost her mucus plug, which can be an early sign of labor, but labor pains hadn't started yet. Around 3 p.m., Yavani asked if she wanted him to come pick her up, but according to WGN9, Marlene declined and said she'd give him a call. After leaving school, Marlene would usually drive straight to her son's daycare to pick him up, but on this particular day, she didn't show up. Eventually, the daycare called Yavani, which sounded the alarm that something was wrong. Marlene was missing, her car was missing, and no one could get in touch with her. Marlene's family immediately went to the police and reported her missing, but for days didn't hear much at all about what was being done to find her. At a press conference, her family begged and pleaded with the public for any information, asking that if anyone had her to please return her safely. They didn't believe that she was missing voluntarily. This wasn't like her. Marlene was responsible. She went to work. She went to school. She was a devoted mother. She wouldn't have just up and left everything behind, especially not at nine months pregnant. She hadn't checked into any hospitals, and frankly, she was too tired to drive. So running off to have only herself to rely on seemed highly unlikely. Marlene's school social worker spoke at the press conference and said that this had been going on for too long, that she was 19, a mother, and due any day, noting that she might have already had her baby. She said there were so many unanswered questions and that she believed the police knew more than they were saying. She asked the press to help them get detectives to look into Marlene's cell phone records to see who might have been calling her because, according to WGN9, just six minutes after she last spoke with her husband, she was caught on security footage by her school walking away, and it looked like she might have been texting someone, but it wasn't her husband and it wasn't anyone in her family. 
They were pretty obviously frustrated with police, pointing out that they hadn't attended the press conference and said they felt law enforcement needed to be more involved in the investigation. The press conference ended with Marlene's family asking that anyone with information please call the Chicago Special Victims Unit, and if they couldn't get in touch with anyone there, to call Marlene's family's church who was setting up a hotline for tips. While the family felt like the police should have been doing more, their church, their community, and social media had quickly rallied behind this missing pregnant woman and her family. Marlene was the second pregnant woman to go missing in Chicago within six months. Pregnant Kira Coles was also missing. The days slowly ticked by with no news about Marlene or where she might be, and on May 2nd, her mother told CBS Chicago that police still hadn't located her vehicle. There had been a couple possible sightings, one in particular at a nearby Walgreens. According to the outlet, the family was trying to get access to the security footage from the store but hadn't been successful. They weren't even sure if the police had seen it yet. On May 5th, 2019, Marlene's due date came and went and there was still no sign of her or the baby. But on May 7th, something strange happened. WGN9 reports that two women were walking down a Chicago street when they heard the sound of a baby crying coming from an alley. They went to check it out and found a newborn baby boy on top of a garbage can bleeding from his cut umbilical cord. One of the women grabbed the baby and took him to the nearest fire station. He was unresponsive when they got there, but medical staff were able to stabilize him. Everyone wondered if maybe this was Marlon's baby. Maybe they had found him and maybe she was still in Chicago. But they also wondered if maybe this was Kiera Cole's baby. While Marlon's family waited for news, they hit the streets passing out flyers in the area that the baby was found. According to WGN9, Marlene's mother said that there was a possibility this was her grandson and she prayed that it was. But it wasn't. The baby found in the alley on top of the garbage can wasn't Marlene's and it wasn't Kiera's either. The baby belonged to a 16-year-old girl and her 17-year-old boyfriend. WGN9 reports that the girl had given birth, wrapped the baby in a beach towel, and put him on top of the trash can. According to ABC7, the girl's boyfriend then went out and put the baby in a canvas shopping bag and left him there. Once the baby boy was in the bag on top of the garbage can, the 16-year-old mother then went to the hospital claiming to have just suffered a miscarriage. It gets worse, though. The woman who found the baby wasn't just some stranger walking by. It was actually the boyfriend's mother. According to WGN9, the teenagers claim to have misunderstood the safe haven laws, which allow you to drop a baby off at a police station, fire station, or hospital, no questions asked, so long as the baby is under 30 days old. Naturally, it seemed odd that they confused the safe haven laws with putting your baby in a towel and a bag on top of a garbage can, and the 16 and 17-year-old were both charged with first-degree attempted murder. The 17-year-old boyfriend's mother was charged with false reporting. Knowing the baby found in the alley wasn't Marlene's, the family was back to square one and doing everything they could possibly think of to make sure the public knew she was missing. They asked them not to stop searching until Marlene and her son were found. But this time, it wouldn't take long for there to finally be a break in the case. Not long after midnight on May 8, 2019, Marlene's car was found parked on a residential street in the 7700 block of Keeler Avenue. 
multiple reports said that her car had a parking ticket on it. Somehow, Marlene's car, which we can only assume had a bolo out on it, had been issued a parking ticket and it raised no flags. Where Marlene's car was found didn't make a whole lot of sense. If she had driven it out there, she would have had to have driven past her son's daycare. If she hadn't driven it there, who did? And why park it on a random street in this nice little neighborhood in the middle of the city? It would only take six days to get answers. On May 14th, ABC7 came out of nowhere with the news that not one, not two, but four persons of interest had been taken into custody and were being questioned in relation to Marlene's disappearance. They had been taken from a home just 16 houses down from where Marlene's car had been found in the neighborhood that her family had been passing out flyers in since. It was the home of 46-year-old Clarissa Figueroa, her 40-year-old boyfriend Peter, her 24-year-old daughter Desiree, and another male who was eventually released. This wasn't one of those cases where people are taken in for questioning and you have to wait weeks and months for any news, or even a case where no one noticed anything strange. Frankly, it was the exact opposite. Neighbors immediately told ABC7 that on the night Marlene went missing around 6 p.m., they saw Clarissa standing outside of her house with blood on her, holding a baby and saying that she'd just given birth and that the baby wasn't breathing. She had called 911 and was waiting for an ambulance. They told the outlet that they noticed Clarissa had blood on her hands and shirt, but didn't have any on her shorts, which seemed odd if she had just had a vaginal birth. A birth that they didn't even know was coming because they didn't know Clarissa was pregnant. If that wasn't suspicious enough, another neighbor showed the news station screenshots of Clarissa talking to Marlene on a local mom group on Facebook called Help a Sister Out, a group that was designed to help local women with things that they needed. Marlene had posted to the Facebook group asking to buy clothes because she was low on cash. Clarissa responded saying that her daughter was so blessed to have had two showers and that she just loves to spread the wealth and is fine with the help and told Marlene to inbox her. And it looks like Marlene did in fact decide to meet up with Clarissa at some point because according to CNN, neighbors had actually contacted Marlene's family, letting them know that they'd seen Marlene go into Clarissa's house. CBS Chicago reports that they'd even seen Marlene's car at Clarissa's house. They just didn't know it was hers at the time. Police processed the home for hours. CBS Chicago reports that they found evidence of blood in the living room. And additionally, ABC 7 reports that they found evidence of blood in the hallway and bathroom. That night, while still processing the home, they found Marlene. She was badly decomposed and had been placed in a garbage can in the back of the property. WGN 9 reports that she had been strangled to death with a cord that was still wrapped around her neck and it was clear that her baby had been cut from her womb. The day had started off with confusion and ended with pure devastation and very few answers. Where was Marlene's baby? Where was the baby Clarissa had claimed to have given birth to on the same day Marlene went missing? 
A quick glance at Clarissa, Pete, and Desiree's Facebooks held the answers. Their social media accounts were filled with photos of them cuddling up with a little baby who was intubated and hooked up to cords in the NICU, a baby they had created a GoFundMe account for. Clarissa's boyfriend, Pete, linked the GoFundMe in a Facebook post from May 7th, the day before Marlene's car was found, with the caption, My son is a fighter, made it this far, but not much time left. Life support, brain dead, very little function in the brain, born, April 23rd, 2019, 6.39 p.m. The GoFundMe stated that at 36 weeks pregnant, Clarissa started experiencing abnormal labor pains while alone in her house and within just minutes had given birth to a baby boy they'd named Xander Xavier, who weighed seven pounds. They said that after giving birth, Clarissa called 911 because the baby wasn't breathing. She and the baby were taken to the hospital, adding that there, Clarissa was reportedly diagnosed with preeclampsia, which they say explained her sudden birth. They explained that the GoFundMe account was created because their baby that they had named Xavier wasn't expected to survive much longer and that this was an unimaginable loss that no person should ever have to endure. And they're right. This is an unimaginable loss that no one should ever have to endure. But this wasn't their baby. DNA determined that Clarissa was not the mother and that Marlene's husband was the father. The GoFundMe account they created for the funeral costs associated with the baby that was cut from Marlene's womb raised over $1,000. The same day that Pete posted the GoFundMe was the same day that police found out about the connection between Clarissa and Marlene's social media accounts. And how did they find out about the connection? The public. The public solved Marlene's case. They saw the news, they heard her family's desperate pleas, and they decided to investigate themselves. If you ever have a tip about a case, even if it's just a post on Facebook, send it in because in cases like this, it could be the tip that solves it. When police got that tip about the links to social media, they immediately went to Clarissa's house. CNN reports that Desiree opened the door and said that her mom was in the hospital for some kind of leg issues, but did say that her mom had recently delivered a baby. Naturally, the officers headed over to the hospital to talk to Clarissa, who admitted that she'd met Marlene, but according to the outlet, said that she hadn't seen her on the day she went missing. While Clarissa was in the hospital, so was Marlene's baby, whom her family had officially named Yovani, a name Marlene had picked out for her son. Yovani was still intubated and hooked up to machines, and according to a statement the family made to CBS Chicago, he had no brain function, but they were praying for a miracle. On May 16, 2019, two days after being taken in for questioning, Clarissa, Pete, and Desiree were all charged after CNN reports that Desiree made a full confession. According to court documents, Marlene went to Clarissa's home in order to get some baby items, but this wasn't on the day she went missing. This was back on April 1st, three weeks earlier. While Marlene was there, ABC7 reports that Clarissa told Desiree that they needed to kill Marlene. At the time, Desiree refused, and her boyfriend noticed that she was acting strange and shaking. So she told him what her mother wanted them to do, and her boyfriend said he'd call the cops if they did. 
Once Marlene left, the outlet reports that Desiree went and told her boyfriend that they weren't being serious about killing Marlene, that it was just an April Fool's joke. Three weeks later, on April 23rd, after Marlene left school and before she was supposed to pick her son up from daycare, she went to run a quick errand to get some baby items from Clarissa, someone she had met before, under the same pretenses. ABC7 reports that when Marlene walked in and sat on the couch, Clarissa turned the music up loud and she and Desiree walked into the kitchen to discuss how they were going to kill her and remove her baby. The two then went back into the living room where Desiree showed Marlene a photo album of her adult brother who had died back in 2017. His name was Xavier, the same name they had given to Marlene's baby. As Marlene was looking at the photos, Clarissa came up from behind her and began choking her with a cord. Fox 10 reports that Marlene was able to get her fingers underneath the cord, which is when Clarissa yelled at Desiree that she wasn't doing her fucking job. So Desiree pried Marlene's fingers out from under the cord one by one. Clarissa strangled Marlene with the cord for four to five minutes until Marlene lost control of her bladder. According to court documents, she had researched how long it takes to strangle someone with a cord, which noted that when they're dead, they'll lose control of their bladder. The lack of oxygen to Marlene also meant that there was a lack of oxygen to the baby. After Marlene was dead, ABC7 reports that Clarissa went into the kitchen, got a butcher knife, and cut baby Yavani out of his mother and placed him into a bucket. Marlene's body was then wrapped in a blanket, put into a bag, and carried out to a garbage can hidden in their garage. Clarissa then called 911, claiming to have just given birth, saying that her baby wasn't breathing. The two of them were taken to a hospital where Clarissa was examined and showed no signs of having just given birth. The blood was cleaned off of her arms, hands, and face, and no alarms were sounded. While Clarissa was at the hospital, the outlet reports that Desiree drove Marlene's car to her sister's house and got two new phones. According to ABC7, Desiree was seen on CCTV footage driving Marlene's car with Marlene's phone pinging at that location at that time. After getting the new phones, the outlet reports that Desiree then drove Marlene's car back to their neighborhood, parked it down the street, and went home. In the following weeks, they would post photos of them and Marlene's baby in the hospital, create a GoFundMe account, and clean and clean and clean their home. In fact, when police showed up to take them in for questioning on the 14th, Pete was outside with bleach and a hose cleaning a rug. When he saw the officers, he reportedly dropped the hose and walked away. Clarissa and Desiree were charged with first-degree murder and aggravated battery of a child less than 13. Pete was charged with obstruction of justice and concealing a homicidal death. According to CBS Chicago, at the time of Pete's arrest, he was already on parole for aggravated battery of a police officer, and a warrant had been issued for him back in February for allegedly stealing someone's methadone. The following day, the three had their first court appearance, and they were each denied bond. 
And it was on that day where Fox 10 broke the news that 24-year-old Desiree was four months pregnant. She had confessed to all of this while pregnant herself. While Marlene's family waited for justice, they focused all of their energy on baby Ivani, who was still fighting for his life in the NICU. They had hope, endless hope, that he would recover from the brain damage and prayed for a miracle. In late May and early June, Marlene's family noticed some movement in baby Ivani. And having some distrust in the hospital that sounded no alarms when Clarissa came in with a baby, having shown no signs of giving birth, CBS Chicago reports that they sought out a second opinion. But the second opinion was just as heartbreaking. According to ABC7, they were told again that due to his brain injuries, he would never be able to breathe on his own. The family was hoping to get a third opinion, but on June 14, 2019, at 5 a.m., Fox 4 reports that the family was told to rush to the hospital. At just seven weeks old, baby Yavani passed away. His death, like his mother's, was ruled a homicide. A little more than a month later, Clarissa and Desiree were each given additional charges of first-degree murder for the death of baby Yavani. The Chicago Sun-Times reported that their charges totaled 27 counts each, some of which included aggravated kidnapping and dismembering a body. This was the first time dismemberment had been mentioned, and it took me back for a second, so I looked up the qualifications for the charge in Illinois, and it includes mutilating a deceased person's body, which cutting a baby from a womb would certainly fall under. Since October of 2018, six months prior to Marlene going missing, Clarissa had been claiming to be pregnant, which came as a shock to everyone considering her tubes had previously been tied. She told friends on Facebook, which can be seen in screenshots that will live on forever, that it was due to a complication during a surgery to remove her appendix. She said that they'd found a cyst on her ovary and that they'd had to untie it and never tied it back. For someone with ample access to the internet and had actually gotten her tubes tied, she didn't seem to understand that ovaries do not get tied. Tubes was her first and only hint, but she chose to forego the clue. Over the next few months, Clarissa and Pete posted ultrasound photos of their supposed baby that had all sorts of personal details on them, including the weeks and days of gestation, her name, and what hospital the ultrasound was allegedly done at. But in a reverse image search, I found a match to her first ultrasound photo, and it dated back to 2016, and most definitely was not hers. I couldn't find the second ultrasound through the same tool, so I took a wild guess and simply googled two words. Fake ultrasound. And there they both were, on the first page of results. In February of 2019, two months before Marlene went missing, Clarissa posted a photo of a whole-ass nursery that she'd created for her fake baby, including a crib, bedding, toys, a neatly arranged changing table, a mural of a tree and skyscape, and block letters spelling out Xavier on the wall, the name of the adult son she'd lost in 2017, and the name she had given to Marlene's baby. With Clarissa's fake due date coming up, she posted to the Help a Sister Out Facebook group asking where the May Mamas were at. She was in a mom group posting to find women due around the same time she claimed to have been due. 
Regardless of all the public has uncovered in Desiree's confession, both women and Pete have pled not guilty to all charges. The hospital that sounded no alarms when Clarissa brought baby Yavani in, showing no signs of having given birth, was investigated, but according to Fox 32, they were cleared of any wrongdoing. Meanwhile, Marlene's family was sent hospital bills for a patient named Baby Figueroa, Clarissa's last name, and they totaled over $300,000. The pure agony this has caused Marlene's family is immeasurable, and while they wait for trial and justice for Marlene and Giovanni, they've started doing diaper and wipe drives for women in need throughout the community, telling CBS Chicago that moms need a safe place to go to get them and that they plan on doing this every three months. They want to put positivity into a world that took a safe place for moms for granted and ended the life of Marlon and her baby. While these three continue to await trial, I will be sure to update you on any movement in the case. For all photos and maps pertaining to Marlene and Yovani's case, check out their highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode. If you like your podcast ad free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad free. If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All of your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Words are hard. There is a child out front with a walkie-talkie. And the... It's not the right sound. Maybe, I don't know. Amazon's here. But it's not for us. It's for the neighbors. I think the neighbor's weed-whacking his whole lawn. I'll wait. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm just gonna wait. Okay. Good luck. Bye. Dun 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 dun.